0: Take your Bibles now and turn to 1 Corinthians 10. As I said a moment ago, we're going to look at this, this passage in chapter 10 because uh, Paul is making a, a, a move pretty rapidly, actually, uh, to address the the problems in the church at Corinth uh, that surround the, the gathering, the corporate gathering of the church in worship, but particularly the... Church as it gathers uh, around the Lord's table, and so uh, he has uh, heard and observed that uh, they have allowed the things of the world to creep into their their gatherings, into their their corporate gatherings, and their worship services, and even in the way they think about the Lord's Supper. So it's good for us from time to time to be reminded. Uh, of these things, because it's easy for us as people to to let the world uh, into our hearts and into the, and therefore to influence the way we we proceed with even our worship of the holy, holy, holy God. So let's read this passage, beginning in verse six after. Uh, Paul has uh, reminded them of Moses and uh, the baptism that they had received into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, that is, in the Red Sea when it was parted, so as they were united to Moses uh, in that trek through the Red Sea. He has reminded them also that uh, they were drinking spiritual drink, throughout that episode and that drink was christ himself and verse six says this now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play nor let us act immorally as some of them did And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We're not stronger than he, are we? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for speaking to us here this morning. In these few moments, we pray that you would speak loudly to us through your word. Your word is clear, but our ears are 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 full of of all sorts of distortion. Our eyes we look through the glass that has been so tainted by the things of this world that we can't read your word properly. So we pray that you would you would take the film off our eyes and and the clutter out of our ears that we might hear your voice and see in your word, what you'd have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a uh, highly religious or better, I think, spiritual culture. I'm not talking about a godly culture, of course. We all look around and we see that to be uh, a falsity. This is a A spiritual culture, but not a godly culture. Uh, We we run across people every day, do we not, who are very spiritual. And if you don't in your personal lives on a certain day, just turn on the radio. And you'll hear uh, a conservative talk show host who's an avowed Mormon who worships the gods of Mormonism, Glenn Beck. You will, uh, you'll hear of Tom Cruise on some Scientology uh, exposition. Um, Dr. Oz, who is a Muslim. For those who are older in the crowd, you'll remember, and there are currently some too, but, uh, but I was just particularly thinking about these older sports figures. Uh, there was Cassius Clay, later Muhammad Ali, because of his switch to Islam. There was there was Lou Alcindor who I'll try to do better than our current president in pronouncing his name Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. If you don't know what I'm talking about you've missed the news for the last two weeks. And uh, and then of course for those in the music field Cat Stevens who became Yusuf Islam when he converted to Islam. Now, I think he's the artist formerly Yusuf Islam. Now he's presently just Yusuf. But uh, nevertheless, we, we've, this is all over our culture. It's a very spiritual culture, not to mention the goddess of television, Oprah Winfrey, who is a New Ager. That means she believes everything. It's a spiritual culture we live in. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with every spirit of this present age. Yeah, if that sounded familiar, that's that's the book. That's what God says. And so it shouldn't surprise us, these things. In the context of Corinth, Twelve temples in the, in the region of Corinth. I'm not talking about Jewish temples here. I'm talking about the temples of the gods. You know, the Nalan Stadiums and such. Now, if you think I'm being hard. Imagine if UT played football on Sundays instead of Saturdays. we'll move on before that gets too convicting in corinth the cultic temples boasted several gods there was poseidon he was the god of the sea the god of the storms of the sea and the god of the of the earthquakes there was apollos who was the god of the arts and sciences he was the god of disease and healing There was Zeus, who was the god of thunder and lightning and storms. Uh, We call him Mother Nature these days. Never mind that it's a masculine name. And then, of course, there was Aphrodite, the god of beauty and sensuality and sex. Sounds like today, doesn't it? We just... We just give them Hollywood names or sports names. You see, the culture then is much like the culture now. They made everything sacred. They knew nothing of the biblical distinction between the sacred and the secular. Everything was sacred to them. So all of these things, the arts and the sciences, healing, thunder, lightning, the movement of the sea, the rising and falling of the tides, was all sacred. And they became objects of worship. And so Paul's addressing the people here and saying, don't do this. If you live like this, you will, you, will, you will necessarily bring this into your worship of the one true God. And let me remind you what happens when you do that. And so he goes through this litany. And let's just do that. The first point I have is idolatry is a common occurrence. It was a common occurrence then. It's a common occurrence today. And it can happen among us. Notice he's not addressing the world. Something I brought out in the book of Isaiah and the minor prophets as I preached through them. The prophets didn't address the world. The prophet addressed God's people who were acting like the world. Prioritizing the things that the world prioritizes. It's easy for us to wag our fingers out there at them. But God doesn't do that. God wags his finger at us. And he's doing it here to the church at Corinth. So, I don't want you to be aware, unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses, into the cloud, and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. Notice, by the way, the use of the word baptism and immersion is not anywhere in the equation. Just an FYI there for you. When you run across your friends who, well, baptism refers to immersion or submersion. No, it doesn't. Not in this passage or any other. They all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. The rock was Christ. Nevertheless... With most of them, notice this, it doesn't say with some of them, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. In other words, they were were destroyed. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. So we read the Old Testament accounts, and Paul's about to rehearse some of them here in summary fashion, so that we won't we won't go there, so that we will repent of our tendencies to be in the world, and like the world, and of the world. And the first thing he says that's common is is uh, is a common idolatry and and. Take note, this is all about idolatry. Verse 7, do not be idolaters. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So you can't get around the fact that this is idolatry. I heard someone recently, uh, three or four years ago, uh, a, a, a Christian uh, who just simply said, well, we can't commit those same sins, those, you know, idolatry. We, we, we don't have idols. You know, it's one of those times where you don't know if you need to hit them to try to jolt them to reality or, or, or just say God bless you and pray for them or turn to a passage like this. I chose to turn to a passage like this. The first idolatry here is hedonism. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Uh, Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, including but not limited to sensual self-indulgence. And Paul reminds us here. Remember, this is about us. These things happened as examples for us, he says. Paul says these things happened... In the wilderness. And this is in the context, if you go back and read about it, follow that quotation there. It refers back to Exodus chapter 32. It's the context of the golden calf being built. This is in the context of worship of the one true God. You say, no, it's not. It was a golden calf. Yeah, but if you go back and read the context, they were worshiping God through this man made apparatus. They weren't worshiping some false deity. They were pretending, purporting to worship the one true God. They sat down to eat and drink and they stood up to play. Hedonism. Hedonism is still a problem, isn't it? And notice what He says they were overthrown in the wilderness. They were laid low in the wilderness. God is a jealous God. He wants us to take our pleasure in him, not the things of this world. Second, the second idolatry that's mentioned here is sensualism. Verse 8, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And there he's simply referencing the passage that we read earlier. Chapter 25, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. You say, well, it's just saying that they were living like them. No, the reference is clearly to to sensuality and sexuality. And we live in that kind of culture, folks. It's amazing sometimes. If you're watching television, Carol and I find ourselves occasionally when when we have time, flip on something to watch something that we're, we're wanting to watch. And you see a, a commercial and you're like, "What was that for? What was the product?" I know what I saw. I know I know how few clothes she had on. But what was the commercial about? We've sensualized everything. Sensuality. And People grow, people grow older and older having expectations of husbands and wives based on Hollywood portrayal of sensuality and sexuality. And it's just not reality. But that's what happens when you live in a sensual culture, and we do. And then... We bring it into the church. You say, how can that be? Some of you have worshiped in churches where the things that went on in the front of the building, I don't want to even go into the details. We have too many young ears in this room. And it would remind It would remind the apostle, it would remind the reformers, it would remind any holy person, anyone pursuing godliness, of the cultic temple worship more than it would of holy, holy, holy worship. And I'm talking about in evangelical and even some reformed churches. God says... Let us not act immorally as some of them did. 23,000 fell in one day. The only point that needs stressing here is God is a God who is a consuming fire. And again, let me remind you, he's not talking to the world. He's not talking about the exposés at the at the at the theaters or in the coliseums that may be that may be some of the most immoral, trashy things you can imagine. He's talking about the church adapting the things of this world and bringing it into worship, sensuality, consumerism. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. That's a reference to Exodus chapter 17, verse 2. Let me just turn back there real quickly for you and just read that. Exodus 17. All the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin... According to the command, command of the Lord encamped at Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Why do you try the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and they grumbled. Now we know the story goes on. They weren't then content with just water and they weren't just content with manna. And they weren't content with the amount of manna God gave them. And then they weren't content with the quail. It was a consumer mentality. And we live in an age that is far easier. It promotes consumerism. And this is not to, to, to be negative against Uh, Amazon, I'm just going to use Amazon as an example. And if I were to ask some of you, how many of you clicked the button last night, buy now on Amazon, so it could be here by tomorrow, I suspect a lot of hands would fly in the air if honesty prevailed. Now that's fine. If you needed it, that's fine. But the difference between need and want has almost vanished in our culture, has it not? And we live in a culture that encourages consumerism. And it makes us jealous for the things other people have. We covet what other people have. Oh, where'd you get that? Oh, you can get that on Amazon. Oh, you can get that. At, you can get that. at. You can get... Well, I don't need that. I've got a manual one. Why do I need a battery-operated one? And I need to work my, my wrist a little more. Oh, yeah, but they've got the battery-operated one. And all of a sudden, we're just... We're caught up in this consumer mentality. They grumbled. They That was testing the Lord. Do you ever think about that? Grumbling is testing the Lord. Complaining is trying the Lord. I'm guilty. How about you? A lot of repenting needs to go on, doesn't it? And I just said, I'm guilty. So I'm not pointing the finger. As Dr. Allison used to say, remember, fellas, when you're in the pulpit, you point that finger, there's three of them pointing back at you. And he's right. Now these things, again, Paul wants us to know in verse 11, these things happen to them as an example. And he, he, he adds this couplet here. And they were written for our instruction. It's not only as an example, but it's supposed to instruct us. It's supposed to have a didactic purpose to it. In other words, it's supposed to change us. It's not just for information. We don't just read this for information. We, we read this to be changed to be instructed, to be taught. Therefore, verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest lest he fall. What's Paul's point? He knew the Corinthians because he knew his own wicked heart. He knew there would be some people say, well, none of that applies to me. and Paul knew that in every life of every Christian at some time all those things apply no exceptions to the rule there's none without sin not even one so Paul throws that warning out there don't think you're above this don't think that you're so holy that you can you can you can you can sanctify some of those sacred things, or the, some of those secular things, and, and make them holy and useful. There are just some things that aren't sanctifiable, because they're from the father of lies, from the father of darkness. So Paul warns us, but you say, Wow. This is a real downer. But notice the next verse, 13. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. So, yep, we all struggle with these things. We're all tempted by these things. We all fall into these these idolatries from time to time. But we're not left hopeless. He has provided a way of escape. Number one way of escape, of course, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's covered these sins just like he's covered every other sin. But even in the midst of our Christian life and a sin comes upon us, a sin besets us perhaps, he provides a way of escape. Children... I went yesterday morning, as did a few of our folks, to the Walk for Life. I wish we'd had as many as we often do there, but we didn't. It was a wonderful morning. We had much going on. Uh, people were moving the LeBlonds, so not able to be there. But I don't know about you, but when I walked up yesterday morning, for those of you who were there, and I saw all the police cars and all the police scattered around, I started looking for a way of escape. Anybody else? If you didn't, you're not as smart as I am. I mean, there's often times you walk into some place, and now we're just talking safety-wise, You go someplace and you think, okay, if a fire breaks out in here, where's the exit? You get on an airplane. One of the things they tell you is, you know, in case of the exits. And they may be behind you. We start looking. It's a matter of safety. This is the most important safety that we can think of. Safety for our souls. Looking for ways of escape. Look for that that door that's ajar. Look for that window that's that's not glued down or painted in so that you can't raise it. God provides those things for his people. Is't that wonderful to know? We can find ourselves in situations sin arises all around us temptation comes and it will and God for his children has a door open. And the sooner you go out that door, the better. The sooner you crawl out that window, the better. Don't say, well, the door's open. I can go out anytime. I'm going to stay and see. No, no, no. The door's open now. A gust of wind may come by and close that door. You better go out that opening now. We don't play with sin. We don't play with temptation. Okay. Verses 14 through 22. Very simple point. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. And he goes through this litany. Is the cup of blessing not the cup Of Christ, the blood of Christ, is is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. In other words, what he's saying here, I'm going to simplify this for us and be brief given our time. Idolatry is competition with Christ. And we need to always see that. Hedonism, sensualism, consumerism, put an ism out there and that's competition with Christ. And Christ will have no competitors. He wants us all to himself. He bought us with a price, remember? We've been bought. He's our master. Idolatry is competition with Christ. And then finally, it's fatal. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We're not stronger than he, are we? I think Paul knew the answer to those questions should be, no, we're not. He's a consuming fire. And what he did when he opened the earth and swallowed up idolaters and what he did when they rose up to play and what he did when they acted immorally and what he did when they tested the Lord and he destroyed them with serpents God can still do he has not changed the grace of God should scare us to death wait a minute The grace of God should scare Yeah. What does Paul say back in Romans? So, because we're forgiven, we just sin? May it never be. The grace of God changes us. Causes us to to be scared to death of sin. The grace of God doesn't salve over things. It makes things vivid and clear. Our salvation, yes, but our sin also. So, the Lord's Supper. You saw hints in here, didn't you? The cup we drink, the bread we eat as the body of Christ. And then Paul moves right into chapter 11 and addresses their paganism, their idolatry, and rebukes them and calls them to repentance and calls them to self-examination. And that's where we are this morning we've come to the table and he calls us to examine ourselves. You say, wow, I'm guilty of all that. Well, here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood and body of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we examine ourselves. We find ourselves sinners. Guess what? That's who the mill's for, sinners. Saved sinners, repenting sinners, but sinners. Because sinners need spiritual nutrition. So that's why we come to the table today, is to get, get more of the gospel. The good news, that he's provided a way of escape for us. Jesus Christ, and that way of escape is available every day, everywhere, every circumstance. Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. It sobers us. We're not the the giddy sinners we were when we came in this room. But it also provokes us to the pursuit of of greater holiness in Jesus and we thank you for that. We ask now that as we sing our hearts would be warmed toward Christ and that our sin would be more more hated by us. And this week would be a week of looking for the the open doors to escape the temptations of this world. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.